Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So we are, in fact, in Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 17, kind of where we left off uh, last week. We'll be picking up with verse 8. If you want to go ahead and get ready, we're going to look at a little bit in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We, Depending on how things go, we may detour uh, over there. So uh, to start us off with um, a quote from uh, Dr. Wearsby, I, I, I think I finished with him last week. It says, on the journey of faith, we not only experience trials involving the necessities of life, such as bread and water, but we also face battles when our enemies attack us. We're pilgrims, but also soldiers. And that means we must occasionally endure hardship as we follow the Lord. I, I love that, um, that little phrase. Pilgrims and soldiers. Pilgrims often need a guide. As I read through this passage today, it struck me uh, how different it was at the end of my study as it was at the beginning of my study. Because I almost thought to myself over the last few weeks, like I swallowed a bug. I should have chewed first. All right, we'll try this again. It struck me that, um, you know, pilgrims need a guide. And as I was thinking about this passage, when I first read it, as I was thinking through the last several weeks and looking forward to today, you know, kind of, Dad and I, one of the, one of the features of, of us kind of just doing our own lessons from scratch every week is uh, trying to decide, you know, what, what chunk of scripture are we going to take? Do we take a big chunk, a small chunk, whatever? And I kind of, I read this, I, you know, it seemed like such a, uh, a misplaced little passage, you know, with all due respect to Mo- Moses who put the first five books of the Bible together. I, th- I thought he might have just stuck this in here for no good reason um, because there was more important stuff coming, but the, the guidance of the commentaries led, led me to, to understand that there is a lot in this passage, uh, much more than I originally appreciated, and it actually serves as a real prelude to everything that's going to happen. So as we're uh, pilgrims walking through this uh, story, um, I hope that uh, I can be at least a bit of a guide. So uh, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 17 of Exodus. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. So let's look at a couple things. First of all, we're going to look at um, where was Rephidim. My little display here works. This is uh, this Sinai Peninsula here, and um, down here is the Red Sea, the Gulf of Suez, 
Um, the Suez Canal, of course, goes, connects this with the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Egypt. And you'll see this, this blue line with the arrows coming down, the presumed course of the Exodus journey. And, and here we have Rephidim. And exactly where Mount Sinai is is kind of under some um, uh, dispute. There are several candidates for Mount Sinai, but down here. But anyway, so here we have Rephidim, which um, is, is near kind of an oasis of sorts. So that's where, that's where we find our folks. And then it says, Amalek came and fought with Israel. So who's Amalek? You can chase down the references, but uh, Amalek is a grandson of Esau. Now, would have been, uh, so these are his descendants, right? Obviously, you know, you have Jacob and Esau, so, so Jacob lived 400-some years, of course, prior to the Exodus. Esau as well. So here you have the descendants all the way uh, 400 years later as, as um, uh, Jacob's family was, was growing and multiplying. So uh, Esau's uh, descendants were as well. And uh, here we have uh, Amalek. And some versions say the Amalekites, um, in other words, the descendants of Amalek. And uh, this is uh, uh, not the first time we hear about them in Scripture, but it's one of the, the major passages. And uh, they show up throughout Scripture for reasons that we'll see in a bit. So, so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek are the Amalekites. We find out a little bit what was going on with them in this particular um, uh, setting, uh, looking at their strategy. You don't have to turn here, but in Deuteronomy 25, we find out what exactly happened during this attack that is referred to. Deuteronomy 25, 17, it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. So the strategy of the Amalekites was that you've got this long train of, of people. Um, they, had, they were weary, of course, they had come a long way. We, we know that they had only recently had uh, food and water, uh, manna and water uh, had only recently been pro provided to them. And we've talked about what a multitude this group is. And, you know, it's just natural in a big, long line of people. You're going to have some people near the front of the line, some people that are stragglers. So what the Amalekites did was they cut the train of people who were traveling um, uh, near the tail it says and got the people that were weakest and most vulnerable and that's where they planned their attack according to Deuteronomy and um, it was this uh, this attack that that prompted Moses to say okay 
uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to make a defense here. We're going to have to uh, we're going to have to to fight these people. So here we are in verse nine. So Moses said to Joshua, "Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek." This is the first mention of Joshua in the Bible. He doesn't get a big introduction here. Um, but I guess the writer somehow uh, assumes that we know who he was talking about. But it says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Um, the next word says, Tomorrow... I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand tomorrow. Uh, very often when Moses was talking with Pharaoh, when he would go and, and make a request, let my people go, and Pharaoh would either come up with an excuse or just refuse flat out. You know, we know this story. And then Moses would often say, in fact, typically would say, Tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. And so just think about that. Maybe write that word in the margin. And as you go through not just this book, but other books of the Bible, when you see that word tomorrow, it's often God making a promise. You know, here's where you are now. But tomorrow, here's what's gonna here's what's gonna happen tomorrow, and um, so you could almost think of tomorrow as being a good title for this tomorrow in its general sense, as being a title for this whole little passage. Because one of the fascinating things that I got from my study was that many of the features of what the whole not just Exodus, but the whole kind of picture of the nation of Israel all the way through uh, Judges even is foreshadowed in this small passage. In some ways, it's almost like a table of contents for what's going to happen. Now, this, you know, I'm going to put this in the, in the notes because this is clearly not something I came up with, but I thought it was fascinating. So here we have so many introductions. The first, we have Amalek. We have Joshua. It says, choose first men. Go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. And then it says, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, we know this story. I'm just going to finish out the passage because we need to break it apart a bit. I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone, put it under him, and sat on it. And he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So here we have this battle, a strange battle, but here we have this battle. Joshua 
he says, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Now, we know that they, when they left Egypt, um, there was a reference earlier in our study about them kind of being prepared for battle, which always seems strange to me because they, you wouldn't have thought that they would have known much about battle. But somehow they've gotten prepared, at least to a degree, and now you've got to go fight. So... An important point is where it says in verse 10, So Joshua did as Moses told him. Um, Joshua did as Moses told him. So we have, uh, again, this theme that we're getting over and over that when you do what God says, things generally go well for you. Further, God generally gives you some direction. Now, of course, we typically don't have the very specific direction that, that these folks did, but we often have direction. When we do things God's way, then things generally go well for us. So we have this command to go fight. What did the Israelites do when they actually made it to the promised land? Did they just walk in and, and just say I'm staking my claim and we're just going to go out and pick our best spots and set up a cabin is, is that what happened no they had to fight so many times so many times um, the, the very first um, uh, book that we were studying when we finally got this whole podcast thing going and, and started recording our, our teachings, we were studying Joshua. It was like five years ago. April of uh, whatever five years ago was. <laughs> and, uh, and we know all those, all those battles that they had to fight. So here we have, in this passage, we've learned about Joshua. We've learned about that there's going to be fighting going on. We hear about the Amalekites, more about them later. Her. We meet her. It says in verse 10, So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. Well, who was her? Her apparently is the son of Caleb. So we always hear about Joshua and Caleb together. Of course, they led the or that at least they were one or two of the 12 spies that we'll hear about down the road. Um, so we have Aaron and her, so we meet her. Um, one of the um, commentators made the point that, uh, and we see this in this battle, how they were so helpful to Moses. Um, in the very next chapter, we're going to have this... Uh, kind of highlighted another example where Moses couldn't do it alone whatever it was this whole leadership of these people couldn't do it by himself he needed help we're going to learn how his authority is delegated but here's this example kind of a creative solution 
Now people have wondered, well, what was it with the raising of the staff and the hands? Was he praying? Was it just somehow the staff was supernaturally empowering the people that were fighting? Why did it matter whether it was up or down? I read a lot of different things. Nobody, nobody really knows. They eventually all admit, well, we don't know. It, it, part of it doesn't make sense, right? I mean, is God's staff just as powerful if it's to the side? Or, of course. But anyway, symbolically, there was this thing. So I guess they figured out, hey, <laughs> we can kind of see how this thing works. Okay, fine. You guys help me out here. And that's what happened. They prevailed. So we know that there's going to be war for a long time. There's going to be fighting. In this passage, where was the biggest battle? At least, where was the most crucial battle? That may have been a good, a, a very crucial battle in the future. But on today's, the most crucial battle was the fatigue of holding up the staff, right? That's really what made the difference. So that was really on the hill up there where the real critical thing was is the power of God flowing properly. That's really where the battle was. And they're going to kind of need to remember this as they engage in more battles. Um, we have seen their examples, examples throughout Scripture, examples in our own life. We are so forgetful. We forget how things work, right? We just forget how things work. I did this the other day. We have power saving features at the office where when you walk into the room, the light turns on. So typically when you go to the bathroom, you walk in and the light comes on and shut the door. I walked into my bathroom the other day and stood there for a second and wondered why the light didn't come off in my, <laughs> come on in my house. <laughs> you know, we don't, we, don't, we don't have power saving features at our house. Um, yeah, so yeah, we're very forgetful. <laughs> very forgetful. <clears throat> Look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So this is really kind of one of the kind of, I don't know, this, this sounds funny to me if you think about it. Look at what it says. Write this as a memorial that I'm going to blot out the memory. What is it? Here's something I really don't want you to ever remember again, so make a note. <laughs> Here's, here's the way this works, Here, I, I think, okay, this is kind of, uh, this, this comes with zero authority other than what I thought of. It's like 
and, and apparently this is true, the only place in history, in archaeology, that you find anything about the Amalekites is in Scripture. Everywhere else, nobody knows these people. So I guess it's kind of what happened that their memory was blotted out, except here. When we, in this whole foreshadowing theme that we've got here, the Amalekites represent, in the early part of Scripture, the same thing, you know, very often we hear about Babylon and fighting the Babylonians and, you know, Revelation talks about Babylon. Babylon is a, is a type of, an, of the enemy of God. The Amalekites work as that feature in the early part. This is a battle with the Amalekites. And depending on when you date the Egyptians, it's almost at least 300, probably 500 years before they're finally put away for good. David, well, or maybe even Hezekiah, a few stragglers. But David was a funny one. The most famous time they kind of got away, so to speak, was in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We may not have time to read the whole story. In fact, we probably won't. But it's a good story to read. Just read 1 Samuel 15. But the gist of it was... In the first few verses, Samuel says, the Lord of hosts, and he references this very battle. I'm in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 15. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. This was a dastardly thing to pick off the stragglers who were weak and weary. Probably a surprise attack. So here we are 300 some years later and God says to Saul, I want you to deal with this. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman and child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now what have we learned so far in our pilgrimage with the Egyptians? I mean with the uh, people came out of, of Egypt the Exodus, that God delivers, God has a certain way of doing things, God wants you to do things the way he says, when you do things the way God says, it all works out, so the big idea is that Saul went up against the Amalekites, there was a defeat, but he said, you know, all these livestock, there's some pretty good livestock there. I think I'm going to keep them, and I'm going to keep the king as well. He didn't do what God said to do, which brings to this famous verse that we all noted when Samuel said, hey, what's up? And, and Saul says, well, you know, I saved those livestock because I thought they would be good to sacrifice. Actually, he 
blamed it on the people. The people saved the, you know. But anyway, he said, when Samuel comes up on it, this is great. He says, "Hey, did you do what God, what you got, what God said to do?" And he said, "Yes, I did. And I defeated them." And and Samuel says, "What's all that bleeding and stuff I hear? What what is what is that? I can't. Is surely that's not." the livestock that you're anyway it's hilarious read read first samuel 15 but then this famous verse where samuel says in verse 22 to obey is better than sacrifice right to obey is better than sacrifice saul says yeah you know i'm gonna sacrifice these to the lord and samuel says why don't you just obey me why don't you just obey me because the Amalekites weren't wiped out right then, they were still pestering around. David had to go, and he mostly wiped them out. Like I said, I think there were a few left stragglers that they found that Hezekiah had to deal with. But the point is, you need to do things the way you're supposed to do them. Verse 14, back in Exodus 17 Write this as a memorial in a book. This is the, we're going to hear, you know, where Moses, spoiler alert, is going to have to write a few things down in the coming weeks. Um, but this is the first time we're told where Moses writes something down. It says, write this as a memorial in a book. Recite it in the ears of Joshua, which I, I find that interesting. Why should he recite it in the ears of Joshua? I, I didn't find any commentators really talk about this. You know, Joshua is going to be the leader, absolutely. Maybe he needed to be reminded about how things work. Maybe he needed to be reminded of his first battle. Maybe, maybe Joshua's weak link was a, was a confidence thing. I don't know. But in any event, um, write it down. And then verse 15, it says, And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. And the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So look at all these things. We have we have Joshua introduced. We have the concept of actually fighting a battle to get what happens. We have that concept introduced. This notion that you're going to need help to do things. We have this notion that God's that Moses is going to write things down. We have the mention of an altar, and there are going to be many altars that show up throughout the, the rest of the of the book when 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 memorable things are done. We have this where it says the Lord will have war from with Amalek from generation to generation. You can you could substitute Amalek as a type of all the battles that God's going to be fighting. Um, this is just a taste of the war with the evil one that continues now until today. So there's a, there's a lot in this little passage. Your future people, my people, my chosen people, is going to involve dependence on me, victory from me you're going to have to participate 
You're not going to be spared from these battles. A lot in here. I pulled out a few things. God is concerned about our past and our present, but there's always hope for tomorrow. What's the hymn say? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. God doesn't spare us from struggle. We know the staff was powerful. Moses could have let him sleep in, right? If that's the way God had wanted this to go. He could have just said, eh, there they are. I better go up and handle these people. It could have happened, but that's not the way it worked. God doesn't spare us from struggle. But our struggle is at a minimum when we obey. What happened right after Saul did what he did? He was demoted, right? The Spirit of God left him, and he wasn't king shortly after that. God often has partners so that we do not have to fight alone. Just like the, the real battle wasn't maybe where you think, very often the real enemy is not who you think it is. The real enemies might be selfishness and disobedience and being dense or forgetful. The real power comes from God, and God finishes what he starts. We talked about that, in essence, we are, as a church, are still in the exodus, so to speak. We're still, we've been delivered, we've crossed the Red Sea, but we are still searching for our promised land. So it's no surprise that we're still going to have some battles to fight. And I think our challenge is going to be to say, okay, God, who are my helpers in this? And how do I really channel your power into the situation as I, as I need to? All right. That's all I got. All right. All right, we better quit. Father, I thank you that, um, gosh, that you are concerned about our past, our present, and our future, that we do have hope for tomorrow, that you are going to ultimately bring victory, and that you will be with us in our battles until that time. We thank you for Jesus, under whose banner we are gladly able to serve. In his name, amen. Thanks, everybody.